This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, we have a just a couple more days before the end of 2020. And as we all know, January 1st, 2021, everything is going to be completely different. And uh, it's going to be super <laughs> exciting to, to jump into that. Um, so just counting the days down until uh, 2020 is behind us and with it, everything that came along with this year. Are you as excited for as that for that as I am? Uh, I am just so we can start complaining about the next year. I know 2021 is going to be, you know, start printing your T-shirts now as we <laughs> as we gear up. So uh, why don't we jump right into some stuff this week, Miles? Uh, some good news up in Sister Bay for people who like to get outside during the winter. Um, I don't know anything about that myself, but uh, as an avid <laughs> broomball fan, uh, I'm sure that you're pretty excited about the fact that the Sister Bay ice rink is open again. Yeah, we got a, a few little pieces of good news here, which uh, we all we all need at the end of this maybe not so good news year. Um, yeah, the Sister Bay Ice Rink has, you know, with the temperatures that just dropped in the last week, they've gotten all the flooding started and they were able to get the ice rink open over the Christmas Christmas Eve, Christmas Day holidays and weekend. And they actually had a, a really busy weekend. Um, a lot of people stopping by to rent skates and find something to do outside, um, which is great because some years it's not open over the holiday because we just don't, it's not cold enough and there's not good enough flooding weather. But the guys up there, Cody Bolton and his crew, worked hard to get it going. So hopefully we have a, a good winter of ice so we can, people can at least have another thing to do outside. And right. that also means that room ball will happen. So the, the rink is generally open four to eight most nights and then during the day on the weekend. And then they have a couple different times slotted for um, pickup ice hockey and then broomball on Wednesday nights. So I just checked their Facebook page. We we also have that listed on our website at doorcountypulse.com. And I'm looking forward to playing some broomball. Yeah, I think that uh, that this will be a fun year for getting out. I know that, uh, you know, not everybody is, is, is as keen to recreate in the winter. Uh, but at least, you know, with the ice rink being open, people can get out on their skates again. Uh, Miles, I know that you are a great skater, um, <laughs> which is surprising that you jumped into broomball so heavily because uh, no skates when you're on the broomball rink, right? No, just a lot of clumsy falling around. Um I can barely skate. My wife is a really good skater. And now that I have a son who I don't want to be embarrassed in front of one day, I'm going to have to start learning how to skate for my wife. So it was it, it's your son that you are trying to get better at, not, you know, your wife who is already a good skater. She wasn't as, you know, important to impress. No, no, I think my 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 options for impressing my wife are are pretty slim nowadays. Well, so. I was going to say, I feel like most people get into ice skating because it's romantic, but you want to get into it just so that your son doesn't laugh at you when you fall. Well, mostly that. And I have <laughs> dreams of actually being able to pick up ice hockey in my late 40s, <laughs> maybe get good enough to actually play. Well, then you got to, yeah, you got to jump on it. When you were say pick up ice, you know, ice hockey later on, I was thinking like Miles, you know, at 60, uh, leisurely doing ice hockey still. But I, I hope so. We have some guys in our, uh, the Door County Pond Hockey Tournament who play in their, into their mid to late 60s. And that's actually one thing that excites me because I've always, I grew up always playing like 
basketball and football. I have long since given up playing football, but still play basketball, but it's really starting to take a beating on my body. And you see guys who can play hockey. I just feel like it's, um, you know, and as long as you're not like checking people into the boards, it does seem like a sport that you can play into a, your older years a little easier than than some of the sports I take on. Right. Keep me updated on how you're doing with basketball because I'm not good at basketball at all and you're pretty good. But as you get older, eventually we're going to hit the same skill level. I don't know if it's when you're, you know, <laughs> 58 or what, but there will be a window of time where you and I are evenly matched on the court. This is no offense to you, but I don't think that will be the case. Really? <laughs> no. Even even when you're, when you're, well, yeah, that's the thing because I'm, I'm living in a universe where you keep getting older and I stay the same age. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, well, what about when you're 80? And I'm like, well, I will be, you know, 60. So that'll, that's not going to happen for me either. I think that I'm also going to continue to get worse at basketball as you do. So I, I, I like your uh, little Matthew McConaughey reference in there. That was a nice line. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, you wrote a perspective piece about leadership. And before we jump into talking about what we saw from the leadership this year in 2020, uh, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how, you know, people in the community, business owners, people who aren't necessarily in big leadership roles have stepped up to support the community in certain ways. Uh Tell me about some of the stories that you've found over the year of people who went above and beyond and, and pitched in to help people out this year. Yeah, um, this week in the paper, we just had a, you know, there were three stories that came across my desk that of people doing things in an individual, small way that grew into bigger things that have, have really helped uh, other families in our community or organizations. Uh, one of those, a woman named Amber Streg, who is on the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Department. And then early on in the pandemic, she found herself unable to give as much time to the emergency support coalition that they had, that the fire chiefs had um, got off the ground because once the Safer at Home order ended, she had to start making up ground for her own business called How to My Heart, where she helps, she uh, does dog grooming, dog walking, training, things like that. And, but she still wanted to give back and she felt bad about not being able to volunteer. So what she started doing was giving away 10% of her revenue to either a local fire department or a local nonprofit each month. So, you know, these are in the grand scheme of philanthropy, small sums, but in the scheme of her income level as a small independent business owner, she has managed to raise and donate almost $4,000 hmm. since uh, early summer to different organizations, which is really remarkable. I mean, you think about that in in a median income in Door County uh, way. I mean, that's just a, that's a, a big sacrifice to make. And I thought right. that was just really cool of her to take that step on her own. And then uh, Emily Johnson, who she was just getting sick of the negativity that we've all seen on Facebook. I mean, I can barely tolerate opening Facebook and it just becomes this bickering and people shouting at each other back and forth. And em Emily was seeing that same thing and she just wanted to put some positivity out there. So she had posted like, hey, is there anybody who knows some families who might need a little help this Christmas? This was kind of going into the Thanksgiving holiday. And she was thinking that she would buy some maybe a couple of gift cards to help these people, maybe a grocery store gift card or something just on her own. And she got flooded with um, suggestions for families that could use a little help. And then she got contacted by another person named Steve Waldron who said, hey, I'd like to help out. Do you 
might be able to beat some doors down and uh, drum up a little bit of money to donate for this. And she was like, that's great. And he went out and raised like $2,500 in donations, both gift cards, cash, um, grocery gift cards, things like that. And they were able to help, I think it was four different families that they were able to spread that money out to and help them get Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas gifts, put food on the table, give them gift cards for like econo foods and things like that. And it all just started because she was like, man, Facebook's so negative. I just want to do something positive. And that positivity turned into really changing the end of the year for a bunch of families, which is just a really cool, like simple thing to do. You never know like when you put that that kindness out there, what comes of it. And she's a great example of that. This year specifically when when people may when people may need that help more than ever before. I think that not only is is any gift a, a good thing or a, a thing with a lot of impact this year, but just the being able to give this year too, with with everybody kind of strapped a little bit tighter than normal, uh, being able to be um, charitable is, is something that is. I think more powerful this year than it is in some other years. Uh, not not to yeah. diminish the act of of giving to people who need it in other times, but it like there's there's kind of a give and take when everybody needs things right now to be able to sacrifice just a little bit more to help somebody else out. Those are really inspiring stories. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you think of dog grooming. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have cut that out of their budget this year. So for the person who is running that business in Amber's case, that's a that's a little gutsy to do this year is to commit to doing something like that when, you know, your service is easy for someone to eliminate from their budget. Right. Um, so in that going into that uncertainty and then committing to doing more is just so laudable. And what you said about people being tighter and, and making it more difficult to donate is that and talk to anyone in nonprofits this year. You almost hate to go ask people for money because of um, because of how strapped everybody is. Right. So say Steve Waldron in the, the case of the of Emily Johnson's idea, you know, just being willing to make those calls and drum up that those donations was it's a little gutsier call to make this time of year or, or in this particular year. And then there's, you know, one more story in this is the Piggly Wiggly up in Sister Bay. They've been really helpful throughout COVID. Um, early on, they put in a mask mandate there before most places did. They encouraged it from the get-go. They did a lot of things right away, putting up plexiglass barriers and encouraging social distancing before they had to. You know, they didn't wait for other people to come and the state to mandate it. They, they got going on that pretty soon. They put in right. special hours for senior citizens to shop so they could feel safe. And then throughout the year, they had people buy, they had a tree out front where people could buy gift cards for local food pantries to go toward buying food for the pantries. And then last week they announced they were gonna match that. So individual citizens bought $7,000 worth of gift cards for two Northern Door food pantries and the Piggly Wiggly owners uh, matched that donation. So they were able to give $14,000 to two food pantries in Northern Door County and those uh, the, the the directors of those food pantries said like that that's going to keep them going for months, if not maybe even through most of the year, huh. um, based on their, the demand they're facing. And you know they did say it's been they've seen new faces at the pantry this year. They get a lot of elderly, a lot of elderly like single men actually, and then but this year they've also seen a lot more people from and families from the service industry who've had to right. use their services. So. Um, you know, that's a lot of people that specifically the, that service industry group are a lot of people that that I know. And you like sometimes we can forget when you see some of the crowds this summer 
and if people think that they're just all everyone's doing great hey COVID didn't really hit us like there's a lot of people who just didn't make the tips and didn't get the hours that they would normally count on uh yeah that that's incredible the th- those types of stories are the things that that helped me out a lot especially when you know we look back at what we're about to talk about uh just in terms of what this year looked like early on we, we did a, a pretty thorough roundup of some of the big stories from the year last week on the podcast but one thing that we've we've talked about throughout but i'd like to talk about a little bit right now is just the experience of going through this year and and thinking back to how different things were in march and april compared to the summer and the fall uh you wrote a piece about leadership and you know the lack of leadership that we saw where we needed it and also people who stepped stepped up to become leaders to fill in those gaps. Uh, walk me through kind of your process as you were going through this year and, and recounting some of this stuff. Sure. Um, I I guess it starts with, you know, when you cover this day in, day out, and I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast, there's been different times when you can certainly hear the frustration in my voice. Um, maybe sometimes it's in, it's in things that I can't report, but especially early on, people were were begging for leadership for someone to tell them what to do for someone to explain things clearly and give them some ideas to move forward whether you're a business owner or an individual and i just saw so often that that just that wasn't happening and the people you would normally turn to to provide that seemed to be in some cases hiding under a rock you know um so i had all this frustration about that that as the as the year came to a close and you start to look at the toll on on business owners and restaurant owners and individuals and and nurses my friends in the in the at, who work at the hospital or at nursing homes and you just see the strain on them and so and a lot of these are not people who get paid well to do what they do <laughs> so I just started thinking about that I got frustrated and then I tried to focus on the people who did do it you know you're trying to turn it back into instead of looking at the people who aren't look at the people who are. And I just tried to, you know, I didn't hit everybody. There's been so many individuals who stepped up, but I tried to give a shout out to a bunch of the people that I saw throughout this, that especially some people who maybe people didn't realize were doing what they were, what those people were doing, or also didn't realize why it was so impressive what they were doing. Right. I, I want to walk back to kind of the early days of this a little bit just to to kind of set the scene for for how different things looked back then. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of my biggest takeaway from reading what you wrote is just remembering, like viscerally remembering how different things were in March and April. Uh, when when this started really going down, I remember, you know, sitting at home and talking to you on the podcast and just wondering when people were going to send out guidelines, when we were going to get anything. I remember that there was like maybe two or three weeks before restaurants had anything to go off of. Um, and, and we were just trying to come up with like, well, what do we do? How do we separate people before anything was given out to anybody? Um, we had the, the emergency support coalition that was formed early on to try to give people the help that they needed right away to try to take some stress off of public health to try to you know move things forward in some capacity rather than you know just have everybody kind of paralyzed by fear or unable to do what they needed get groceries that kind of stuff uh, I remember seeing a lot of people stepping up to fill in the void in March and April uh, to try to move things forward when we weren't seeing anything at the national level or even the state level for that matter of course we did have some movement from Governor Tony Evers but that was largely squashed by the Supreme Court case that ended the safer at home order. So 
after that point, it would we really didn't see a whole lot of anything. There, there have been things here and there, but nothing really enforceable for the most part. And walk me through kind of that those early days in terms of people stepping up and, and trying to move the county forward when we were kind of left in the dark at the state and national level. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I still think back to like some of the first things that struck me about the crisis was, you know, looking through when I saw like how many people were dying in Italy and seeing this small community, as I started looking at the demographics, you realize this community is very similar to ours and the elderly population and percentages are similar to ours. And then I saw a clip from one of the editors at that newspaper flipping through the daily newspaper and it had 10 pages of obituaries. And I just pictured us having to do that here at the Pulse. And that's what kind of raised the alarm for me of going, all right, maybe maybe look into this a little bit more and, and not blow it off like I originally had. And as you started doing the math, it, it just started to look a little bit scary. And I don't like writing those obituaries and those right. memoriams. So what shocked me, though, was just like how not seriously the people in those major positions of power, both locally, you know, whether it be county board or or school boards and municipal boards, but then state legislature, governor's office, and obviously at the federal level and even at the local public health level early on. I mean, one of my first calls, it was I heard a chuckle on the other, other end of the line when I asked about COVID. So there were. But some of those places redeemed themselves later on throughout the year. Um, some did not. You know, I, one of the first instances of this, I went to a, a Village of Egg Harbor meeting about for a plan commission meeting with a couple hundred people at the Crest Pavilion, and everyone else was sitting right next to each other, shaking hands. I I, I had to turn down a lot of handshakes. I sat off into a corner far away from everybody, and I was like, wow, nobody seems to care about this here. And then that was probably the last big meeting I covered. And then I went to a Gibraltar school board meeting where they were talking about, it was an emergency meeting called to discuss the protocols to keep the kids safe and to keep the schools operating safely. And yet the only people distancing themselves at all were the people in the audience. But the school board itself was packed together and the, and the staff members in the front row were sitting right next to each other talking about how they were in, instituting safe measures for the school. So you can't look at that and feel like they're really taking it seriously and really gonna, going to um, lead you through this if they're not going to take the measures themselves. So that was kind of early on when I first started going, oh, wow, we, we, we need to get serious about this. So I was getting frustrated with all those different things I was seeing. But then once it, you know, in the column, what I try to do is bring it back and emphasize some of the people who did step up. So when they weren't getting the leadership from some of those other positions in the county that are either paid well enough to lead or are elected to lead. You know, Chris Hecht at the Sister Bay Liberty Girl Fire Department. Early on, I talked to him. I said, hey, is this is, I called him before we ever really wrote something too serious. I said, am I overblowing this? Is this disconcerting or am, or is this, are you as, as worried? And he's like, no, I'm pretty worried. He had been talking to other fire department officials in different parts of the country who said like, hey, the, a safer at home order might be coming your way. And then he stepped up and organized the fire chiefs and the other fire chiefs, they all stepped on board and and formed this Northern Door Coalition to provide supplies and, and bring food to people. And that, that was just so inspiring. And, but you expect that out of your fire chief, right? You expect the people in that position to do those things. So I wasn't surprised. Right. Um, but then like some of the people I thought felt like throughout all of this who, who really did some great work were some of the community coordinators who really proved their value throughout this whole crisis by, you know, when there was all that arguing about like, people should stay away or almost like a hatred going toward tourists and second homeowners for daring to want to come to the place where they own property. These 
and and things were getting pretty ugly on social media, but it, it was the community coordinators right away who organized on their own to create a video and to like change the messaging and put out more positive messages with a tone of, yeah, we, we don't want you to come right now just because we want to stay safe. We want to, at that time, we were trying to stop the virus from even coming to the county. We thought maybe right. we could do that. And, but in the meantime saying, but don't take this the wrong way. Like we want you to come back later. We will open our doors widely when it's when it's safe to do so. Um, put it put more of a, a happy spin on it versus a negative, almost xenophobic take that was kind of getting spread at the time. Sure. And then I've been in plenty of meetings of task force and um, either business recovery task force, public health task or um, Zoom meetings and different community meetings and and municipal meetings. And it's the community coordinators who've been there at all those asking the tough questions, pushing for answers, trying to get information that they can give to the business community and disseminate it throughout the community. And to like, especially Pam uh, Seiler at Destination Sturgeon Bay and Louise Hausen at um, Sister Bay Advancement Association. I mean, I don't know if they've ever missed one of these calls and they don't, they don't have a fear of asking difficult questions and, and demanding a little more out of the leaders to say, to, to do more, which we need a lot more of in this community. And I just, that's not easy to do in their positions and they've really done it. And they're, that's not what they're paid to do. They're supposed to be marketing their community. And I think the community coordinators as a whole stepped up this year to, to fill in in a crisis and help in so many other ways, whether it be getting creative with events and trying to put some positivity out into the communities, um, give people reasons to smile, get information to people who might need help and get that to the people who might be able to help them and try to give some guidance to all the businesses who are grasping at straws to figure out, hey, what, how am I supposed to do this? You know, how am I supposed to be safe? Am I allowed to do this? You know, because the govern, even the governor's office, the messaging was often just not good enough or powerful enough or inspiring enough. And then they were late to the game on getting people the information they needed, um, even in terms of like opening up, like, hey, you're going to open up tomorrow, but we're going to tell you how to open up three days after that. That kind of thing kept happening. So... Those are just a couple. I mean, Brian Stevens at the Door County Medical Center, he's the CEO there. They are faced with this unprecedented year where they have to keep their staff safe and they have one of the largest staffs in the county. They they are the ones who have to stop doing all these other procedures to be, make it safe for COVID. And yet in the midst of that, as he's taking the questions for that and negotiate, trying to work with politicians to get funding and get answers for that business, He's also taken a leadership role in trying to help get people solve the child care problem that rose up in Sturgeon Bay when the Barker Center closed. He's also been on all these business calls to help the wider business community and answer their questions. Um, so even at a time where if anybody had an excuse to say, hey, I can't do anything else right now, it was him. But he stepped up in a lot of different ways um, that have been really valuable. Right. I don't know if you want to interject anything at this point before I ramble more. <laughs> well, and one of the other ones that I, I remember really turning to a lot in the early months of this was Dr. Jim Heiss and Sue Powers from Public Health and their like weekly Monday live streams that they were doing on Facebook because like as you said, everybody was asking questions and there are only a few people who can really answer those questions. Uh, I'm sure that you asked more questions of Jim Heiss and Sue Powers than anybody up here. But at the same time, like when the people who know what's going on have to try to facilitate 
you know, questions from the press alone, but to be able to go on Facebook and answer people's questions directly right in that moment. Uh, I think that that was something that was incredibly value to people just in terms of, you know, assuaging fears, if not, you know, just giving people the information that they needed at a time where they weren't getting it elsewhere. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people recognize how remarkable that is. Like it's, it's pretty rare for a politician who is in the public eye, who runs for office, who, you know, anybody who runs for office, you have to have a bit of an ego. Um, so even with that ego, having chosen to do that job, they don't often put themselves up there. Maybe they'll do a town hall or a listening session here and there. But to do like these live streams week after week after week, in the case of Sue Powers and Jim Heiss, where you don't know all the answers, and they would address almost every question that came up, even if they didn't know, or even if they didn't really understand the question, or even if the question was out of left field or maybe even inappropriate. You know, sometimes you'd look in the comments and there's just people firing off at them in some cases. And to to do that, knowing what their jobs entailed at the time was uh, really gutsy. I, I've never, I can't think of a comparable instance of someone in that sort of job doing something like that, unless you're talking about like, football coaches taking questions after a game or something, but that obviously does not matter to as many people in as nearly as an important, as important of a way as this. So that took guts. And I know that's, it's not what <laughs> Sue Powers and all my conversations with her, it's not what she would like to be doing, <laughs> but she's doing it nonetheless. And, um, you know, that's, those are the jobs that elected officials and, and high paid CEOs are supposed to do, not necessarily like your public health manager in this case, or your physician in the case of Jim Heiss. And I thought, all in all, they did a, a pretty good job. Obviously, as a reporter early on, I, I was frustrated to not get more answers and more information. Um, but you can't you can't say they didn't try to do what they felt they could give out, you know, because they have to deal with privacy rules and all that sort of thing at the same time. Um, and and the the confusing messages coming down from the state, you know, in, in the case of Sue Powers, her job is largely a trickle down from like federal government to the state to her. and. Right you kind of parrot those lines that come from above. That's how the hierarchy works. And when you have the Republican legislature sues to overturn the safer at home order and then doesn't put any replacement in place, doesn't even have a proposal to put of what they would like to see happen, but rather says, well, we think it's best managed at the local level. What that meant when you said that in a case like this, that basically puts even more on Sue Powers, the public health manager, even more on your local hospital, and even more on your local county board. And then when the county board abdicates the responsibility by saying, we are not going to put any mask order in place, we're only going to make suggestions, um, that again puts even more on their shoulders. And then now they're getting the, the, the hoaxers and other people firing off at them even more. And <gasps> then you have legislatures undermining public health officials by saying they're sensationalizing things or, or even accusing them of lying to the public. So those kind of things... You, you add that all up and it's really almost unconscionable to look back at what was put on certain people at the local level. Right. Be because the legislature and throughout all this, they never went into session. <laughs> they just they never even went in and said, hey, we're going to discuss some ideas in public and 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 expose to people what we know and don't know. Whereas Jim Heiss and Sue Powers were doing that week to week. Right. That's a really brave thing to do. I want to pivot a little bit just to, and maybe this is a greater discussion for another podcast, but one question that I've had recently a lot is, you know, looking back on this year and seeing how 
maybe exciting isn't the right word, but how how much was going on early on in March and April and May? Asking questions, answering questions, trying to come up with guidelines, trying to prepare, move things around, figure things out. All of those things were happening early on, and there were a lot of people who stepped up to try to do those things. Uh, Like you had mentioned, videos being made, messages being sent out, trying to kind of shape what this year was going to look like. And then I feel like when we got into the summer in June, July, and August, uh, a lot of that maybe was forgotten or a lot of it kind of moved to the wayside and people just kind of enjoyed their summer like normal in a lot of ways. Uh, And now as we've gotten through fall and are moving into winter, it it feels like a very different world than it was in March and April as we were trying to, to figure out what summer was going to look like. What do you think happened during the summer months, do you, I mean, do you feel like the things that we did in March and April really did kind of lay the landscape out for a safer summer here in Door County? Or do you think that people just kind of moved those ideas to the wayside and went about more as normal? And now I'm not talking about the people like who worked in the service industry because their summer was anything but normal this year. But just in terms of, you know, people coming to Door County or or what you saw as people came and 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 the summer kind of progressed as normal in a way. Uh, what do you think happened as we went through summer? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the fact that the cases didn't skyrocket in summer kind of lulled it to sleep and was like, OK, we're going to coast along and see how see how far this wave takes us. And it did get us through most of the summer without that that big bump, This, which is actually what if you go back to early on in this, what a, what a lot of epidemiologists, what a lot of public health people said was going to happen, that you'd probably have the spring surge, it would die down, and it would come back in the fall. Um, this is basically the, the, the larger trend line of what has happened is exactly what the, I'd say the smartest people I was following said would happen from the get-go if we didn't, if we didn't like tamp it way down right away. Um, that, so I'm not saying that it was inevitable that it would happen this way, but this is what they, basically what they said, if, if you don't take the measures early and take it seriously, you're going to have this. And that's, that's what we had. Um, and kind of the reason that was is we had an incredibly beautiful summer with maybe some of the best end-to-end weather that I've ever seen up here, which meant people could be outside a lot. And all that messaging was here to direct them to that. I know we got some criticism for publicizing some people's secret hideaways and stuff. But what that, what I was hoping it would do, besides, you know, the fact that it would answer a lot of curiosities from people, but, you know, spread those crowds out to other places all over the county versus packing them into a few different towns or a few different parks. Um, it's a small thing, but you, you hope that happens. And people spent so much time outside. The beer gardens could be open, so the restaurants could still make some money, but not have to pack everybody inside. And I think all in all, you saw a lot of pretty responsible business owners who who mitigated the the worst possible effects by either closing and doing takeout only, or very limited dining or an in, in, in-house service, or putting up plexiglass and, and really enforcing mask wearing amongst their staff. So if you took all those things away, I think you'd you would have seen a, a much, a much more drawn out, difficult problem in the summer. And I think the fact that the, the wave hit us at a time when we were pretty slow and it didn't, it didn't kill businesses to be closed in the spring because they get such a small percentage of their revenue there. It gave people time to have reality set in and, and invest in those safeguards and before the crowds came. And then you have like some very brave decisions, I think, by a lot of organizations that right away just said, we're going to 
we're canceling all our big events. We're canceling the 4th of July, which would encourage a ton of gathering. We're pen players canceling, Northern Sky canceling, the auditorium, all these things that would have brought a ton of people, huge crowds inside. Um, they they didn't do it. And other places did, you know, like do uh, you look in Florida, you look around the country, you look at Sturgis, like what if you had Fall Fest in Sister Bay, just like they had Sturgis out in South Dakota. I mean, if you track that most, I mean, that's Sturgis is, there's going to be several books written about, if not an encyclopedia written about that event, because that was considered a, a seeding event for a lot of the outbreaks in September and October across the country, where they gather 600,000 people in South Dakota, most of them going into bars and restaurants and, and then going back home. And a few weeks later, you see the spike. So I think you'll see that large correlation and Door County, didn't have any of those large events. Everyone canceled them all. Um, and it's incredibly financially damaging to everybody who did that, but it might be something that saves a lot of lives in the long run. Right. Well, then I guess my follow-up question is, and, and maybe this is hard or impossible to answer without, you know, pretty detailed data from this year, but why why do you think it is that we didn't see very many cases? I think we got through, you know, into August still with less than 200 cases. Uh, how How is it that we get through the summer uh, when it's incredibly busy up here, only to hit September, October, November, and see our cases go up to two thousand now. Like, what do you think that is? And I know that you know you're you don't have all of the information for this question, but what do you think happens that that we're able to make it through the the period of time that I think everybody's the most worried about, pretty much unscathed or, or relatively compared to you know other places around us, and and yet now that we get into the off season, we're we're seeing our cases skyrocket. Well, I think that goes back to much of what I just said. Like even, you know, they, they call it like living room spread now is where people are going home and yeah, they maybe are avoiding large crowds, but then they're getting multiple families together inside and then you're seeing the spread happen. And then they, that spread happens in that in that small gathering of two families. Now each of those two families goes home to two other families and then you, you have that big community spread from that. But, you know, in the summer, like I said, everyone's outside. Every, businesses were able to function outside. Families were able to get together on their decks, on their patios, and sit in their back porch and and not congregate everyone inside for long periods of time, breathing the same air. Um, I saw a, a poster the other day, which I, I wish would have come out in June, that said, like, don't share your air. And it basically sent the message of, ideally, you don't congregate. But if you do, do it outside. And if you can't do it outside, make sure your windows are open, that you have some ventilation, swing the garage door up, wear your masks, and limit the duration of that time that you're going to spend inside. Now, I know public health to some degree has been afraid to send that message because they there is that fear that it opens the door to people and then they just throw out all the warnings. But there's also some realism in here that people are going to want to get together. It's, a, it's human nature. Well, for most of us, <laughs> maybe not on the island. Um, but Wow. <laughs> scathing <laughs> remarks from, from Miles thrown to the island of all places. Hey, you go there to get away, right? Um, Le- leave but, them alone, Miles. <laughs> but the um, the fact that once you hit the fall, and as I, I think it just makes a lot of sense, especially what we what we know about the virus and what we know almost more more for sure now, and which we knew probably was the case back in even May, was that indoor long periods of time, no ventilation is your worst case scenario, and you're better outdoor. You're better like shorter periods of time help a lot. Wearing masks helps a lot. Um, and that's what the summer allowed you to do all those things. Then you get to the fall 
and you have the complacency that set in. So probably a lot of people stopped wearing masks because they're like, look, there's no cases. And then people go inside with no mask and you start to see the cases go up. So with that, I, I definitely think people should check out the your your column on this because like I said, just reading it and being transported back to March was such a strange experience that I, I think everybody should should give it a look. Uh, and and you do a great job of highlighting people who really stepped up. And I, I think it's important to remember what people did early on to try to to help lead us through this when we weren't seeing that leadership elsewhere. Uh, but as we're getting a little bit long this week, why don't we wrap up? This is the last podcast that we'll be doing before New Year's. Uh, so I, I hope everybody has a safe and fun New Year's. And uh, if you happen to be up in Sister Bay, there might be something that you might be able to do this year that will feel maybe a little bit more normal. Uh, so Sister Bay is going to have fireworks on New Year's. Miles, have you ever seen fireworks uh, in the freezing cold? I had last year they, when they the now canceled cherry drop was going on at the Husby's. Um, they did the fireworks up over the kind of like brightened up right over the over the hill in Sister Bay as you were watching the cherry come down they'd shoot off the fireworks so obviously this year can't have the cherry drop but they're still going to have the fireworks so um, should be at least something to do whether you feel safe driving and checking them out or or bundling up and standing outside and just uh, catching them at a distance from other people um, it's a great way to at least get a little semblance of normalcy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I can't imagine anything that I'd want to stand outside at night in the cold for. But after this year, I'm liable to do just about anything. So uh, <laughs> maybe I will go check them out. Although fireworks at this, you know, I'm starting to think maybe that there's a maybe there's some opportunity for innovation in in this. Why couldn't we do fireworks more often in more places? You wouldn't be encouraging gathering if you could shoot them up higher because the higher <laughs> they go, the more people could see them. So I'm thinking if you shoot something like 5,000 feet in the air, then everybody can just see them from their backyards. And then we okay. get like a whole a whole county fireworks celebration. Just launch those things as high as we can get them. This is one of our, our new segment, uh, Andrew's Bad Ideas. No, this is a great idea. Somebody's <laughs> going to make a lot of money next year, Miles, when 4th of July is launched, you know, either from space down or out of orbital cannons or something. You're going to look back at this moment and be like, oh, man, that could have been our shot. But uh, <laughs> so with that, uh, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me. And I look forward to chatting with you again next year. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Have a good New Year. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.